the music on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode 13 of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery after party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and with me, as always, my favorite, Jeff, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't. I'm trying to think of other Jeffs that I know. I was going to say my favorite Santa Gorn because that's all I can literally I think of I was all ready to do my Gorn impression and you nope. threw me for a loop. Nope. And I don't think we should edit this either. No, we're definitely not editing this. So guys, he's my favorite Jeff. My co Jeff. That's sweet. You're my favorite Heather. Oh, yay. Okay. He's also a Gorn, but y'all know that. We're trying to shake it up and... Now I'm just making noise by throwing things around. For those who aren't familiar with our podcast, we're a community-based Star Trek discotheque of sorts, focusing on each episode of Star Trek Discovery as they air. Tonight, we'll be discussing episode 13, What's Past is Prologue, and holy cow, maybe one of the best Star Trek episodes mm. ever. We say that each week. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Heather really does. do. Um, well, Heather does, I guess. Almost. There have been some that I didn't love. Um, but I I think we can safely say on this show that that at this point, we do feel like every episode is just getting better and better. They are. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they told us that would happen. At least they told us on After Trek. Where's my check, <laughs> by the way, After Trek? Like, seriously. Yeah, where's Heather's invite? But yeah, because there's going to be heck? some guy on next week. They're like Star Trek super fans, some guy I've never heard of. Oh, and I'm like, hello, hello. They obviously haven't heard of Heather Barker. I guess not. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what, what happens in the future. Probably nothing. All right. Well, with us to talk about the episode, you can already hear their voices in the background. Two members of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook, which is the exclusive gateway to gain admission onto the show. Both are friends that we have not yet met, but we hope to very, very soon. They have been or are going to STLV. Our first has been to STLV. And we will see her again. Polyester, how are you? I totally said you said it wrong. I just can't say it. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's just, it's it's polyester. Just think of the material. It's all good. It's because I have always, always had this. It's when it's split up. I just, my brain processes it that way. And I've always had trouble saying the name Esther. Esther, Esther. So I'm just always going <laughs> to screw it up. And again, we won't edit that out because it just shows that people are normal. Like this is true. This is what happens. But welcome to the show. We are so 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 excited to have you. Um, we've we've been in touch on Facebook for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're so happy to have you in the group. And I hope, if not this year, that maybe we'll see you down the down the road and. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think it'll be possible this year, unfortunately. But um, yeah, we're definitely coming back uh, in the not too distant future. Woo-hoo. Yes. Yay. I know it's hard with the Canadian and U.S. currency. Uh, it's not <laughs> that yeah. bad, but it could be better. Yeah, certainly. That other voice, by the way, is our great friend, JP. Um, he's on Twitter. He's Twitter family for sure. Polly's getting back in the Twitter game, so she's <laughs> new Twitter family. Um, but JP, welcome to the show. We've known you Thanks. for 
a long time now and yeah, super about excited. Yeah, a year or so ever since yeah. I started this whole podcast thing on my side. So hey, that's it. Only a year. Time flies. It does I know? And, uh, yeah, I'll be at uh, seat Q17 in the main hall if you ever want to find me at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. Fancy, fancy. Well, we are excited, excited that we will get to see UJP and you, Polly, sometime, maybe mm-hmm. next year. Um, we will keep your spirit alive there. You can send us a little like picture of your face and we'll carry it around the convention. <laughs> you got we'll it. make masks out of them and wear them. Yeah, with tongue depressors and you can just walk around exactly <laughs> yes it won't be the first time that's happened with people at the star trek convention i still have so. my george decay one <laughs> me yes. too yes all oh, right boy. well obviously we're among friends here tonight we're gonna hop into our discussion of the episode in just a moment but first we have some announcements to cover um as we mentioned disco trek is community focused and evolved from our desire to give fans in our convention community a way to talk about star trek discovery so to enter your chance to join us there's only two shows left man oh my god um <laughs> we may have a surprise third after that so maybe. final final 16 maybe but in the meantime, make sure you're a member of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. Once you do that, you'll see a new post every Tuesday with a Disco Trek image and information on the following week's recording time. Just comment on that post to be entered, and we'll use a random generator to pick two winners the following Saturday. Once you've been on the podcast, you can't enter again, but there are still ways to be part of the discussion. I'm going to hand it off to Jeff, who loves to tell people how to do that. I certainly do. So uh, Heather will post in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group a thread that you can respond to from the current episode. And your responses to that could be read on the air here on the show or... If you feel so inclined, you can leave us a two-minute voicemail by dialing 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. And you can leave us two minutes worth of audio that we can play here on the show. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we also... Our Patreon family just keeps growing and growing. Oh my God, um, it does. And we are always humbled and grateful when we get a new member of the Patreon family. Um, we we fund our shows uh, by Patreon. Those help get us to conventions. They help with our birthday party that we have at STLV. Um, they help with fees to, to run the website and produce all of the podcasts. Um, we don't do any kind of advertising because we're just so blessed to have great patrons. And from what I know, we got a couple more this week, didn't we? We absolutely did. And, you know, like you said, we are totally flattered anytime anyone signs up uh, with any amount. And it's amazing. So we have a shout outs, two shout outs. Uh, the first one is a member of our unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group. And I hope I get his name right. Mr. Eric Profanchik. I hope I got that right. Eric, thank you so much. Yeah, Eric is awesome. Uh, I was messaging back and forth with him as he was trying to sign up. He was having some technical issues, but we got it all worked out. Thank you so much, Eric, for signing up to be a Patreon supporter. We love you. And I think the second one is a friend of yours, Heather? He is. Gosh. So Mark Ambinder has been my friend for a long time since I lived in New York, which was over 10 years ago. 
Um, amazing. And he is a tried and true Trekkie. He was more of a Trekkie back then than I was. Um, because that was before I went to the Star Trek convention. That's a long um, time ago. So, so yeah, he has watched from afar as I went full Trekkie. Uh, <laughs> and apparently I did not scare him off as a friend. Um, so welcome, Mark. We are so grateful to have you join our patron family. Um, and I do want to point out... Eric's last name does not have a question mark at the end, even though it sounded like it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Eric. And also, the issue that he was having is that when you go to sign up and you want to pick um, the amount you want to donate per month, I think there was like a drop down, like you had to change it. It looked like you could yeah. only do a dollar a month. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But you can change that manually. And we do not care. We no. don't care what you, we are grateful for whether it's a dollar or ten dollars it there's no difference they're all just wonderful generous donations um and it makes us really happy to know that we have the support from our friends and family um so thanks eric thanks mark we're glad to have you we hope you enjoy all of the fun unedited versions of our podcast We will, I think next week we will have a solid announcement. Um, we have another reward coming up, which is um, a group chat um, mm-hmm. on Discovery. And we have a date set up. We just don't have all the details finalized, but that is coming as well as more rewards. Jeff, remind me what our Patreon URL is. Ah, so yeah, if you want to find our Patreon page, you can find it at patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions, or another way is to go to our website, the tricorder transmissions.com and click on the big orange Patreon link in the upper right hand side. And when you do that, you'll be taken to our page. And when you sign up to become a patron, you will get access instantly to our unedited episodes of Shore Leave and Disco Trek and soon to be some of our other shows will be joining in on that. So you'll get to hear some of our pre-show and post-show banter as well as unedited versions of the shows themselves. And you'll often get access to those quite a while before you get access to the actual show that gets released. So we usually record these. Disco Trek is only one day difference, but other shows can be up to a week or more or two weeks before we actually release the shows. So yeah, that's a it's a cool benefit, and we're working on some other Patreon rewards here in the very near future. Yep, yep. Shore leave is one of those. So you get shore leave sometimes like a week or two before it comes out. Um, and shore leave will be back soon. It will be back next month. If well, yeah, next month because this is the end of January. Um, so mm-hmm. we have more shore leave coming in February as we gear up um, for STLV and con season in general. Okay, um, so now that we've talked about all that, is there anything else? Because last last week I glossed right over. There is one other thing. Oh, see, that's why I asked. There is one other thing. So um, this show will be airing on Tuesday, but the following Saturday after the show comes out, it is the big debut of Reading Trek, our newest show on the Tricorder mm. Transmission, uh, starring our wonderful friends William Conlin and Marty Alley. Uh, they're going to be talking about, is it Desperate Hours is the first episode I believe they're going to be talking about? Yes. So um, they are, um, I've heard this episode already. They're done recording it and Heather's going to be getting a link to it soon. It's awesome. 
You guys are going to love it out there. I cannot wait. Yeah. And Heather, can't, we can't wait for this episode to hit live. And they're going to be doing a weekly show. I, I got oh. the, the stamina wow. of these guys. A <laughs> weekly show. I mean, Brand new podcasters. <laughs> they're going to be doing book, a weekly show. A book a week is, is hard. Unbelievable. You gotta work and have a life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I am going to pop on two episodes to talk about Drastic Measures, the next Star Trek Discovery novel written by Dayton Ward. Um, and so I have got some some reading to do. Although to be fair, I read Desperate Hours in like two days. So um, I'm sure I can read this one pretty quickly, but I'm excited to get to be a guest on their show. And we're just excited in general to welcome our Star Trek family into the network um, and to see them be so professional and passionate. Uh, it's it's exciting for them, but it's extremely exciting and rewarding yeah. for us. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and if, if I can say, I mean, I've got, I've gotten a Kobo reader uh, for Christmas and I read through like five books since I gotten it. So it, nice. I don't know the fact that if, when I finish a book, I don't have to wait until I get home to start another one kind of yeah. helps. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the fact you don't have to wait for shipping and stuff. Uh, I mean, it's great and uh, definitely helps me really personally. I know some people still live for the actual physical paper, but, when you're in a pinch, I mean, uh, ebooks are great. Yeah, so. I'm a I'm a physical book girl. I me had too. Um, yeah, me too. an iPad, like I did Kindle <laughs> for a long time. I will say that very often you can get books for much cheaper and or free as yeah. ebooks, um, mm. which is which is great. I think that actually. Um, Desperate Hours was on sale for like a dollar ninety nine or something. Something like that, yeah. Um, super cheap. Um, I'm not sure if it's still available, but definitely jump on it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's great to have these Discovery books to go alongside the show. I'm gonna need a lot of them once Discovery ends because it's <laughs> gonna be a long wait until <laughs> next season. Um, but talking about Discovery, we've got a podcast to do. So <laughs> now that we've got all that out of the way, it's time to talk about Discovery. So Black Alerts, keep in mind from this point forward, there will be spoilers. There were major spoilers in this week's episode. So if you haven't watched, um, what are you doing? Like, and you can't be on social media because it was probably spoiled like the night that you were on Twitter. So um, yeah. go watch it. If you haven't, come back and and jump in to the conversation. Um, our listeners know that this show is a general discussion about the episode, but we do have three segments, which are Drop the Record, which is opening remarks and reactions to the episode, Play a New Track, where we explore what we learned that's new about the Star Trek universe, and Spin It Again is our look back on standout moments, characters, and scenes from the show. Just about anything you feel is worth a second glance i am so ready to talk about this <laughs> episode i have watched it three times um so let's let's dive right in let's go ahead and drop the record i happen to know that she's crazy excited to talk about it so polly <laughs> what what did you think about this one? Oh my gosh i i I, bas I, can't, I can't even get the words i basically went from alternating between pumping my fists into the air to like punching my hubby. Like it was just, there was this, this amazing reaction throughout the whole, um, 
episode like the the first half everything seems to be just like slowly building up and then the second half it was just like non-stop the there's a lot of moments that i'm going to talk about later on in uh spin it again but um basically uh the things that the things that i've got notes all over the table here guys i'm gonna just let you know <laughs> um basically the things that really stuck out for me were um uh humor like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys um, ever saw Escape from New York, but mm-hmm. I felt like oh. everybody kept saying to Lorca, "I thought you were dead." Like I felt like <laughs> yeah. <skin. laughs> I, I preferred you when you when I thought you were dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So that was really funny. Um, I, I really. Oh, is everybody okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, I loved uh, I loved that the Kobayashi Maru exists in all universes. Yeah. Oh my God, that was I think the biggest punch I did to my hubby. He's fine though; he'll be okay. Um, the um, I loved how the episode was shot. Um, I'll talk about this more in, like in the next thing. It kind of went to um, themes for me. Like it was a lot of like light versus dark. Um, a lot of shots that were in long, dark corridors. Um, with yeah. the camera slowly panning and just this little bit of light shining through the darkness. And I thought for this particular episode itself, this was I this was my favorite episode of the season so far. And like you, Heather, I think it's like. One of the best Star Trek episodes, period. I thought this really, this really kind of, um, it was so well written, so well acted. I think that it really kind of hammered a lot of things that you see in um, like Star Wars as well, like the good versus evil, the light versus the dark. And literally in a lot of those scenes, like this really dark hallway, and there's just this little bit of light. So it's just like they're stuck in this mirror universe, but there's, there's still hope. You know, like mm-hmm. there's they're going to get back. There's something that's going to that's going to help them. And then the other theme that I got from this was destiny versus choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So those were like the 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 huge things that hit me overall. And literally, I like needed my inhaler so many times. <laughs> it was insane. I feel very much the same way. I had very physical like I kind of wish that someone had taken a video of me watching this episode <laughs> um because I was like doing the same thing like punching the air and pointing and um especially when they they referenced the no win scenario I was like oh my god um, and uh during Saru's you know, acting Captain Saru's beautiful speech um, oh. by that point of the episode I was sitting on the edge of the couch, like (laughs) cross-legged, but like leaning towards the TV, but just waiting and waiting. And when he started talking and I'm listening, like my hand was over my mouth and I was just like captivated. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there. I was like, wait, I don't know why I didn't cry because I cry all the time, but um, I just was like so emotional sitting there and then it's as the episode progressed um in that that final half and those final moments um my biggest thing i was waiting for like colbert to reappear like for real Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah and it's been like it's been teased and I, i didn't even know until today um, and I think it was Captain Revo on Twitter 
that said this. I'm sorry if that's not who it was, but um, that apparently when Wilson Cruz uh, was on After Trek, they hinted at, and then Matt Myra later confirmed that Wilson Cruz will be back in season two. Sorry mm. for spoilers, everybody. Oh. Um, but okay. it, this, you know, the whole we've talked about we've talked about Colmer a lot on the show, mm. um, and I don't mean to like totally segment into this and sidetrack us, um, but like I still like based on what we've seen, it's still difficult to tell what's going to happen with that character. And if we're going to see the character again. And I think that if we had somehow seen that character, like when they came out of the mycelial network, ding, ding, I said it right. Um, <laughs> 50 points for Gryffindor. Um, <laughs> I think I would have lost it. And to be quite honest, like having anticipated it so much in this episode like i know that if we do see him again somehow as not a figment of imagination like i'm gonna lose it and Mm -hmm. well don't forget heather we have discovered a new time travel method in this episode so you might go back and get him yes well i as long as it's not that we go back and then none of this ever happened because that would be ridiculous and i don't think they've done that in trek many times well i i don't want to go there yeah (laughs) Um, jp were you going to say something uh well i i um i was i wasn't gonna say you know they made a whole movie about bringing back a character from the dead so it's not going to be that easy to bring him back so it's not it can't be that easy and no, um, but I'm I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in the next two episodes. Um, but I totally didn't mean to segue with Mike my reactions to the show. So JP, how did you feel about this? Uh, episode? I mean, I loved the episode. I was ready to hate Burnham for siding with the Emperor, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then I was I became okay with it. I kind of somehow that show made us sympathize. With Georgiou. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. Must mm-hmm. be magic or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that and th- there's one little point of contention. I was disappointed that Lorca was just like your typical run on the mill throne usurper. I mean, he had dabs of something we might talk about later. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I really hoped that he, he was. He would be a, 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 a you know alien sympathizer rebel mm-hmm. you know, trying to do, and that disappointed me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, the action was great. I mean, we got uh, Michelle Yeoh in full crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Man. Moment. I <laughs> mean, she was at you know for people who complain that she wasn't at her best at, at the Battle of Binary Stars. <laughs> during that fight on the Klingon ship, I mean, look at this. I mean, you got yeah. what you wanted. You mean you 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 hire Michelle Yeoh for a show. You don't allow her to go unused, being shot in the back on, by a phaser. You know, it's so so they they redeemed themselves well in that uh, in that situation. For, for, yeah, for, uh, definitely, for Michelle. <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting to talk about Giorgio and Lorca because it's it's certainly something that crossed my mind. Um, and again, we're, we keep kind of hinting. We'll talk about Lorca in in more depth <laughs> later on. Um, but 
you know, when we met George, Georgie. So here's the thing with Giorgio. I have heard her name pronounced like 50 different ways at this point that I no longer know what the correct <laughs> pronunciation is. Yeah. Um, I so I would play it as like it's Georgiou. However, Lorca says Giorgio. Um, it's not Giorgio because it was the opposite of Shenzhou. And like, that's how I was remembering <laughs> that it was Georgiou <laughs> and Shenzhou. Um, but now everyone's saying it all different kinds of ways. So yeah. I'll say it three different ways in this podcast. However, um, when we met Mir Giorgio, she, you know, she, she decimated Harlac. Um, mm-hmm. She destroyed a planet and she seemed mm pretty sinister and then last week she's eating kelpian and enjoying it um and i mean to be fair who knows maybe we would i don't know no i can't i'm not going to eat a kelpian it's like a human um anyway anyway so i really thought okay i enjoyed the fact that she and burnham wound up having a civil respectful conversation uh which i thought was interesting uh but but that giorgio was definitely dark and sinister and then yeah. when we have mayor Lorca opposite of her um the and the dialogue was very specific um and that's again i don't i don't really want to like dive right into it because it's something that i know we want to talk about later um but he's really he's really putting her kind of on the the side of allowing alien races to come into the country, you know, come into the empire mm. basically. And, and he's the one that's saying they need to preserve the Terran race. Mm. Um, so political connotation aside, we'll get to that. I just thought it was pretty interesting that in this episode, I could identify Lorca a certain way. And that made me more sympathetic towards Giorgio. In addition to, the way that they have Burnham and Giorgio interact. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a play on our original relationship, even though now it's technically four different characters, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, but I definitely thought it was unique and part, I know part of it, I just enjoy having um, that interaction between women. And there's been discussion on the fact that like originally a lot of people like myself felt that our Giorgio and Burnham had a familial mother-daughter type relationship. And then there were other people who didn't see that at all. Um, but they saw it coming in the mirror universe. And mm-hmm. I liked the way that that kind of worked into not only just the story, um, but for me, making me a bit more sympathetic to uh, Mir Giorgio but now, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I sure as heck did not <laughs> did not anticipate <laughs> Burnham grabbing her um, as she uh, no. to the she, she pulled a she pulled a Jillian. Yeah, like yes. Surprise! Don't see coming. We've talked about all the surprises we figured out, but this is a surprise that I did not see coming. Um, yeah. And Georgiou is like, "What have you done to me?" which I think is interesting, um, interesting remark there, but I don't know what they're going to do with her now. So uh, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me, but I, I don't know. Do you guys have any, any further thoughts about the two of those characters? Well, I mean, 
judging from what we saw in the trailer for next week, I have quite a good idea what Perfectly will serve. I mean, uh, it was it was interesting to see Burnham acting, let letting her emotions act, but for for, for you know for for good this time because last time she did that you know she she killed Takuma, and she, instead this time she you know she she the coin literally flipped you know it's yeah, so I think it's a play on on that you know same kind of desperate situation firefight and instead of. Uh, you know, Brenna making a horrible decision, then she makes a good decision. So yeah, that well. that fight scene for sure was definitely reminiscent of of the one with Takuma and Voke on the sarcophagus ship with mm-hmm. with Sorshu and Burnham. Um, I mean, it's man. the whole point of the Mary Universe. I think in, in, in this specific case, in this specific set of episodes, I think the the whole second chapter is to mirror the first chapter yeah which is an interesting concept I yeah find. for sure i thought um i thought because you've spoken about this before in an earlier episode with the um is it lisi is that how you pronounce the episode yeah. name yeah. um it's the that oh that speech that she says to um tyler when she she goes all my life the conflict inside me has been between logic and emotion but now it's my emotions that are fighting and it's it's exactly what you know uh jp said it's like this is like totally coming to um a climax and she uh like how she was fighting with takuma in the earlier episode and then i did it came as a complete surprise to me when she grabbed um georgiou but but then when you think about it when i rewatched it i'm like well obviously she did that because she couldn't save her before and she was gonna save her this time but even um i can't remember the exact quote that um Lorca said to her, I think when when he was like uh, transmitting this over the system, he was also commenting on Burnham's emotions, kind of like getting the better of her. So it's like really like this the whole the whole episode was about <laughs> emotions for even for yeah. all of us watching. But you totally um, yeah, you're totally right there with with Burnham, and you feel exactly what she's going yeah, through. Yeah, she, she's actually you know she's becoming humans and she's mm. learning to deal with her emotions and with her impulsions in, in a healthier way, I think. So Jeff, what did you think about this one? Wow. So I, I, I'm going to say this is probably my favorite episode of discovery so far. Uh, maybe the best episode of discovery so far. It's a controversial, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, it pretty much has everything that you'd want in a star Trek episode, right? Action, science, intrigue, time travel. And it, it feels like it doesn't even rest for a single minute it's it's a pretty much a non-stop uh onslaught right so i i think I, I was a little bit shocked at how high they raised the stakes in this one i think yeah. this is maybe the highest stakes of of in star trek that we've seen or maybe close to that i mean the, the fate of the entire universe rests on the actions of discovery uh, the entire universe is I, exactly yeah all universes so i mean this this is pretty much forget the klingon war uh, this is pretty much everything everywhere. So I thought that was a little bit high. It was interesting that they went that far. I was a little bit surprised. but And I was a little bit worried about the fact that we've strayed so far from the Klingon War storyline. But, I mean, this episode didn't even have any updates on the, the Vogue slash Lorel situation. I mean, nope. we just kind of yeah. assume that they're still in the cell together, I guess. But I, at the end of the episode, we finally get some some answers. And, um, you know, especially about how valuable Discovery was 
in that war and the fact that they were out of the picture for nine months, the tide of the war turned mm. so much since the last time we talked about it. So um, interesting end of the episode. And I know we're not going to talk about the trailer for the next one. We're going to save that for next week. But I guess also I'd just throw out there, I think that leather jacket Lorca is totally the better Lorca. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good easy cosplay to do oh totally awesome yeah. well like, unless you want to wear the real armor underneath that might be trickier yeah, yeah. oh man um yeah i mean i think i've already kind of let people know what how i feel about it it's i just uh, this was a, such a good ride mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> i i just i don't even know when I have been so engaged in an episode on so many levels like I really loved mag- magic to make the sanest mango mad because I just thought it was a lot of fun um the the party was fun and I felt engaged with the party and then just the the way that that episode was was put together this and I know we've said before that discovery is feels very cinematic but this episode by far this felt like a movie Um, and I think I've seen some comments, especially as of late. And I think it has to do with the pacing of how the story is working right now, um, where people are just very adamantly feeling that discovery is for binge watching. You know, of course I have to say, well, but I like doing this podcast. Um, (laughs) I like, I I like watching a week and having, you know, watching it on Sunday and then having the week to talk about it. I love diving in and watching it multiple times and finding all the little Easter eggs. Um, and it's my, my life rotates around this show right now. (laughs) Um, You gotta have time to digest, you know, it's kind of like food. Yeah. And I don't, like I've said, I've said, I don't want, I don't want discovery to be one of those shows where it's watched within a few days and then people, you know, are talking about the next show by the next weekend. Um, however, I think that for sure, like I will be sitting down and watching the entire season one weekend, um, just in, in one long viewing, because I certainly think, it's suited for that. And I mean, we kind of, kind of knew that going in, um, with Mm. the format, but, but this episode for me just had it, had it all. Um, it was written by Ted Sullivan. Uh, you said his name correctly. Yes. I said it correctly (laughs) this time. He's Carter Hall on Twitter. Um, the, I, this is another one where, Earlier on in the series, I would talk about the fact that, you know, I sit down and watch it on screen without taking notes, without looking at my phone. I just watch it as is, take the whole episode in. And then I go back and watch it again with closed captioning on and I take notes. And when I do that, if it's an episode that I'm not quite sure about, um, that's when I really start to fall in love with it. And... Like last week's episode, I really enjoyed, but I didn't feel like it had um, the same quality of dialogue that the mm-hmm. others did. Whereas this one just had so much, um, and especially on those themes of like destiny and and you know destiny, fate, mm-hmm. choice. Um, I think it was Giorgio said to Michael, "Your choices have determined your fate," mm-hmm. um, and then. Michael turns around and 
says to Giorgio later that I'm responsible for forging my own path. We mm-hmm. all are. Um, and I, I know that's kind of basic. It's basic dialogue. At the <laughs> I wrote that time, quote down too. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. at the same time, even even Saru's speech, um, which I I wrote down word for word, and I was like about to post it on Twitter, and then my great friend Aaron Harvey, um, he podcasts over on Trek FM Saturday Morning Trek. He is a graphic artist, and he transcribed the quotes and made a beautiful graphic, which I will post on Twitter tonight. Um. Uh, with or he's geek filter on twitter if you want to find him but um he he had written it down and like when i went went back and was writing this i'm like it's not like the the most bravado elegant language you've ever heard i mean it's really kind of basic but like what he says is just so powerful combined with the fact that in that scene we're seeing the bridge crew like all coming together for the first time and Mm -hmm. everyone, everyone having a line with the exception of Lieutenant Milton Richter, (laughs) Mr. Dreamy, who has since disappeared. I guess he got (laughs) killed somewhere and we didn't see it. Um, But he was, he was mentioned early on because they would just like show him looking all dreamy over in the corner (laughs) um but no no um i was i was really really excited to get to see the entire bridge crew showcased um together on discovery and then um like old shake on had a role and that she got killed in the mary universe but she was a commander um on the caron so that was really cool um that it was just really awesome. And so that like that moment again was just an extremely powerful moment. And Saru's speech, it, it was just like such a culmination of so many things. Um, so I just the writing in this, the the roles that all of the characters played. I feel like I'm skipping to the end here because uh, <laughs> I'll probably just like rain my praise all over them again. But um I also wanted to point out that. Um, this was directed by Olatunde Osunan. Oh, let me say that again. Olatunde Osunsami. Ooh, I said it right. Um, and he's a Nigerian director. He's directed some other episodes of Discovery. And he really deserves a ton of credit because back to my main point, this was an extremely cinematic episode um, of Discovery. Um... Originally, this was this was set to be the season finale. You got to keep that in mind. I don't know at what point they would have resolved the mirror universe, but it was supposed originally be thirteen episodes. We yeah. we got fifteen. So I'm curious to see at what point did this stopped being the season finale. Mm-hmm. That that's something I, I'm sure Larry Nemechek will be able to tell us in five years. Yeah, but someday, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our great friend, Dr. Trek, um, who has a new podcast, Trek Files, Roddenberry Network. Um, see, we plugged you, Larry. You're welcome. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he listens to Disco Trek, but we're always happy to support our friends, um, especially those who have been guests. But, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll find that out. I think that that information would be something you'd probably find out on After Trek. Um, mm. And that would actually be a pretty great question to ask them on after Trek or to yeah. maybe ask Ted Sullivan, if you catch him on Twitter. I mean, Ted said, you know, he said that they learned it 
of course, before we knew it publicly. But, you know, I'm curious at what point, because uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of what ifs and would have beens and, you know, but uh, that, that's my that's why I like Larry so much. <laughs> that would have been. It seems like a really it seems like it could have ended just as it yeah. did. And then, then think, okay, there's two more episodes. It's like, oh my god! I, I, I'm glad they didn't let us on that cliffhanger because they would have been. I mean, <laughs> STLV would would have been like a picketing line <laughs> or something. I mean, it was hard enough to to wait what for like a month and a half between chapter one and chapter two. Yeah. It was hard enough for that exact same kind of cliffhanger. So I mean, don't don't pull the rug on, under us you mm -hmm. know, twice in a row. So it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting, like because you bring up like the you know the the week after week. This is actually um, I watched Star Trek like when I was a little kid in the '70s in like syndication, the original series, and so this is the very first time I'm watching Star Trek like as it airs. I literally delved into the Star Trek universe um, in the summer of 2013, and hubby and I did like two years straight of watching. Um, we started with Next Generation and then went into like Deep Space Nine and did like all of the series, then rewatched all the films. Um, so I binged everything for two years. So when I got into Star Trek, I really got into Star Trek. Um, so discovering Star Trek, literally like Discovery, um, week by week this is a totally new experience for me and i'm i'm loving it so everything in all the other star trek is still so fresh in my mind um but then i've got the excitement now of going like oh my god i have to wait a week or like almost two months <laughs> for things so it's it's uh it's a wonderful feeling and i love that i'm now um like enjoying this with like everybody else it's so great <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and move into our next segment, Play a New Track, where we talk about what we learned that's new in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> JP, let's let's start with you this time. What do you got for us? Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of Star Trek ships, so I was glad to learn that the Baran was a Cardenas-class ship. Uh, I mean, as as seen, I mean, I was able to see that from the uh, the, the Star Trek Eagle Moss ships, uh, the the announcements. So thanks to uh, to them, I mean, we have the names of the class and everything. So 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 that's nice. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm it's kind of nice to know that uh, that Lorca uh, turned into the Prime Universe the the classic way. <laughs> the Kirk way, uh, I the good old Iron Storm transporter yeah. combo, um, <laughs> uh, and again, you know, you it just uh, we we still got to wonder what happened. I mean, that's a lingering question, you know, what happened to to Prime Lorca? But yeah. I guess he would just uh, well, that was one of the big questions from last week, right? So what happened to him? So now that we've got the confirmation that it was the classic way in the Ion Storm, we know that it, and even Stamets even says that the Ion Storm must have swapped your transporter signatures. So that implies that so, Prime... you know, either, he, either Prime Lorca died stupidly on the Baran, hitting his head on a bulkhead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who or knows? Or they killed him or on the, sight because they knew it wasn't or him. Or maybe, yeah, they, or, you know, they killed him like 20 minutes later because, you know, I don't know. Because uh, this opens up a whole door of 
what was Prime Lorca being him up from and what he was doing at the time. I mean, there, there's a whole thing that I'm sure either David Mack or Dayton Ward or someone will cover eventually in their books because uh, that, that's what usually they, they like to do. Um, but, uh, I mean, I mean, the big thing was the Mycel network generator. You know, the big, we finally know what the big sun is in the middle of the Charon. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I think it's probably a, a big illusion to either offshore drilling or stuff. You know, when they say it's unsustainable, and they really comment on the fact that mm. well, they 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 ought to know that it's it's not sustainable. But I don't think they care. So, you know, it makes you uh, again some political or some uh, at least yeah some political illusions there uh, on on the energy crisis uh, mm. all across the world. So uh, that's what I and of. Uh, Texting via communicator is pretty neat. For sure. Um, Polly, excuse me. Oh, gosh, sorry. <laughs> Polly, what about you? Um, the two, See, this is the weird one. I'm like, what did we learn that was new? It wasn't uh, that I have more to say on the other ones. But the, the two that stuck out for me was um, the emergency transport system. Oh, yeah. That uh, Georgie just kind of like, you know, all of a sudden goes and Lark is like, you know, well, I didn't know. We had that, and that goes right into like the humor again. Um, but it's really interesting how it seems that everybody in the Terran Empire calls each other by their first names. <laughs> like it's just like, oh, it's nice to see you again, Paul, and you know, like everybody's. Yeah. <laughs> but then even when he came, when Lorca, um, they took down the containment field, and he says, oh, "Hello, Pippa," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, you did not." <laughs> So it was really interesting to see the way they address themselves in uh, in the mirror universe. Yeah. Thought it was cheeky, <laughs> very cheeky. Definitely. No, no respect for the title at all. Just like you know, get out of my way. And Jeff, what about you? Uh, what was up with Mirror Stamets and that personal cloaking device? Yeah. What's that about? Why yeah. does the mirror universe have cooler tech than the prime universe? <laughs> I thought only well, the Klingons you know, had cloaking devices. It, it kind of reminded me in uh, Unification Part Two, where you know they they hidden they they hid behind a holographic wall. I think it was more akin to that than a cloaking device, or just active, you know, active cloaking. Yeah, there you go. Like on the planet. So. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that we find out that Mirror Stamets was the one that foiled Lorca's coup. That was mm. kind of cool. Oh, yeah. So you wonder what the heck happened? How did this how did this whole thing fall apart? And we find out that uh, good old Mirror Paul, who is oddly similar to his prime counterpart. Um, yeah. He doesn't seem nearly Minus as evil the, as he should be. Minus the spineless part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That aside, that aside. And oh, and and you know, we, we saw uh, Stamets wake up. More Stamets stuff. We saw Stamets wake up in the last one, but according to Saru's captain's log, Stamets has made a full recovery, so mm. he is back to absolute full health. Which I'm glad that they said that because you see him get back in the spore drive and start driving that thing again. I'm like, oh, didn't he yeah. just get yeah. lost in that thing? Does he really want to get back in there? I don't know. But apparently, full recovery. He's good to go for another. What is it? hundred and something jumps before he yeah and this time he's deciding to take it it's not he's not being decided like he was last time yeah 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 
And I guess one final thing, I think we were talking about this a little bit prior to the podcast actually starting. So our Patreon folks heard a little bit about some of the, the preamble about the, um, the, the Lorca's, you know, vision for the Terran empire and our current politics. But I kind of went a different route with that. And it really seems like Laura is almost a Takuvma of the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. Isn't he? He's kind of he's doing the same thing for the Terrans that Takuma was trying to do for the Klingons. Yeah. So that's kind of where I went with it. I can definitely see the parallel to the nationalism that has broken out, you know, in, in several countries across the world as we record this. But I, I saw much more of a parallel with Takuma and the Klingon unification uh, than, than necessarily our own political climate. And what does that say about heroes and villains? You know, who really are the heroes and who really are the villains in either universe? Well, yeah. you know, victors write history, so. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Though the yeah. victors write the books, the loser speaks the lines, right? There's uh, there's, there's certainly, as we've alluded to, um, some, some dialogue here reflective of current political situations mm-hmm. um, in our country and really across the world and in other nations. Um, and Ted Sullivan did specify on After Trek um, that that was intentional and that they feel like, you know, Star Trek has always been uh, a commentary about current times and that mm-hmm. they felt um, this was a good opportunity to 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 do that, to take advantage of that. Um, so uh, the uh, the dialogue between Lorca and Giorgio, 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 <laughs> I'm just going to say it three <laughs> times, um, every time, uh, it is very specific. And like one of the quotes. He says, um, just like you know that the Federation is a vocal or that's sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. Just like you know that the Federation is a social experiment doomed to failure, mm-hmm. childish idealism, every species, every choice, every opinion is not equal, no matter how much they want it to be. Um, and that's that's kind of scary. <laughs> Yeah. thing to hear. And Ted actually specified that, you know, part of it is that, yes, we're, we're going to recognize this type of dialogue um, from people we may or may not oppose in the government. Mm. But also, are we able to see any of that in ourselves um, where we may have thought that at some point and then further reflect on that? Um, yeah, mm. and and it's it's great that we're still talking about that because here in Quebec, I mean, a year ago to the day, there was a horrible shooting in a mosque, mm-hmm. and um, it it hurt us deeply because um, you know it shows their problem. You know, it's not because you don't see the problem that there isn't one, and you would think Canada is big, one big happy place, but eh, you know we still have our our our, our issues. And uh, it's it's important to to keep talking about those, and I'm I'm glad that Star Trek keeps keeps holding that flame, uh, and 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 shows that it's, I think the mirror universe is a great was a great way to to pass the meshes along, because in chapter one you had the Klingon showing that same message, and then you got you know you got the repeat, but from the Terran part. 
so in a less uh you know in a less uh hidden way so um yeah i'm, I'm just glad we you know we keep uh tackling the subject and i hope they don't stop i i agree with you and and i think we've talked about this on a lot of previous episodes that start we love this the social commentary in star trek and i would love to ask ted this question Myself, and I think this is probably a topic not necessarily for this episode, but since he specifically called this out as a, uh, a reference to our current political times, what would Star Trek Discovery have been if a different candidate had won the U.S. election? Mm-hmm. What would we be watching right now? Um, I have no idea. So I don't think we should necessarily need to talk <laughs> about that now. But just an interesting question, since he brought that specifically up on After Trek. And I killed the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> um, back to follow. <laughs> did we, uh, did we have anything else to say surrounding the Lorca and the, the political connotation of what he said? Or I do mean, we- um, I had one question. I don't know, because uh, his point of contention with Georgiou, I mean, was he just, you know, mad that she brought aliens as slaves, or because she didn't seem to be the the type to welcome aliens as no. you know uh, free members of their society. So it seemed I'm, if you listen to what he says, I mean, it's it's kind of almost a not necessarily glossed over, but it's only mentioned very briefly. But he makes the assertion that she allows other races to you know flourish, kind of in their space. And doesn't immediately eradicate them. It's almost like mm-hmm. it. He, she's allowing a taint to spread and not doing anything about it. Yeah. In his okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, I see that happen. And uh, hmm, now that's interesting. Uh, you know, and that would allow you know since they're both gone now. I mean, Spock serving in Starfleet might make more sense now. I mean, as you see in in the Murmur um, episode in the original series. And back into Enterprise, so I don't know the pot. You know, there's there's a lot of material going to 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 to, to pull from there. Um, but I, what you know, what I see is you know, uh, with those two gone, there's a huge political vacuum, which might facilitate Spock ten years later to uh, take control of the Empire and trying to turn it around. And then what happens happens, and then we see the effects in a hundred years later in DS9. Uh, and absolutely. That's, my head cannon is forming around that idea, but uh... you know, and and you know, I think that observing Lorca in this episode specifically, especially his uh, his sentimental uh, dialogue to the crew of the Discovery that Saru you know dismisses, but how hard must it have been for? mirror Lorca to assimilate into that crew knowing that a kelpian is like his second in command right yeah on the discovery and they eat kelpians in the in Lorca's <laughs> universe i mean uh, for him to admit that he had i mean he was probably he could have been being manipulative but at that point he didn't necessarily need to be manipulative anymore he'd already made the bargain to let the discovery crew go so he didn't necessarily need to say what he was saying so i was taking him at his word that he was yeah. really respected the crew and that the crew of, of discovery is quite diverse, uh, from, yeah. especially from an alien race perspective. And for him to say that he respected that crew is huge for someone who's arguing for racial purity of the Terrans. Hmm. 
What does that mean uh-huh. for Lorca? I mean, and th- th- let's not dismiss the fact that Mirror Lorca, when he get back, gets back to the Mirror Universe, is still really similar to the Lorca we've known the entire time. He yeah. re- doesn't change much besides from just wantonly killing people. But other than that, I mean, philosophically, he doesn't seem much different to me. Oh, I don't man. know. He, he seems different. I don't know. I, to me, and I don't, I think because we... I think if I could say, because the, the quote, you know, the one that, because I write down like Heather, all these quotes, um, what Lorca says, um, Terrans need a leader who will preserve our way of life, our race. And then he says, you know, he wants to make the empire glorious again. Right. That sounds like somebody <laughs> whose name I'm not going to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm just going to say that I think that probably the like as soon as since we're we're talking about this and I never really thought about it before until you guys started talking about it but when um Mirror Lorca like got dropped into the prime universe I think his first natural reaction and instinct is like everybody is beneath me mm-hmm. um you know probably had those feelings about Saru how is mm-hmm. this like you know slave running this but I think he realized because of who he was, you know, in the Terran, um, that he uh, obviously knows manipulation and, mm-hmm. you know, making people do what he wants. And obviously, if he's the captain on this ship, he could just give yeah. orders. And so I think that having everybody follow his orders immediately and not seem to question um, kept him, like, his ego right up there but also mm-hmm. i think maybe he ended up having respect for the crew um because they actually did their jobs like they did it yeah. so well and he's like you know you know put whatever race you are aside you'd actually i'd actually have you in my empire because mm-hmm. i know that you know you'd get the job done so i think he still has this same attitude and his feelings on race and whatnot but i think that um he only had that after seeing the capability of, you know, the starship. Yeah. And I kind of think it, uh, how to say that, um, that it, it shows that, you know, uh, some people will, will only show their most, uh, I don't say heinous side, you know, kind of again, like what we saw earlier last, uh, last year, you know, um, uh, people will only show, you know, when they show their through their true colors, it, um, Oh God, I don't know how to say that. I, mm. Um, you know, people will say, "Oh yeah, I have a gay friend," or "I have like a, a black friend." I don't know. He might, he might just see it like that personally. I mean, but I don't know. Might want to cut that up. <laughs> My train yeah. of thought was well. No, it's horrible. a great thought. It's a great thought because I mean, Lorca says that if if any of the Discovery crew gave him any sort of a clue that they would be willing to de- deviate from yeah. the Starfleet code, then he would have recruited them. What if Saru gave him that impression? Would he really have recruited a Kelpian? Mm. But I might explain the Landry situation, though. How Landry was a, 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 a a-hole when, when we met her in the Prime Universe, and she was a Prime Universe Landry. Yeah, I almost uh, – I questioned that yeah. too. I'm like, wow, I thought maybe she had gone with him and transported with him to the Prime Universe, but he she shows up in an agonizer. So obviously uh, so, she was so, still you know, Landry. The, I, I, would, I would believe that at least, you know, 
it's great that you mentioned that he I, I forgot how he said that you know he said that so so that opens the door that he might have taken Landry under his wing and told her the plan and that would explain her uh, mm. whole demeanor yeah. I would love for them to do an episode at some point, just a flashback episode showing Mirror Lorca beaming into the Prime Universe and how he got off that transporter pad and convinced <laughs> them all that he was the Prime Lorca and assimilated into that crew. I would, he's yeah. got to be completely shocked by the diversity of that crew, that ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might have gotten enough luck and have had a relatively human bridge crew. Yeah, poten- yeah, true, potentially, yeah. So that that might have softened the blow a bit, and, and then we're like, you know, kind of like, I mean, not to the extreme of uh, the the evil. Uh, well, I was I don't want to say evil, just Mirror Kirk uh, beaming into the Enterprise, just yeah. going berserk right away. That was a little, you know. That's the only the precedent top, we have, right? We see the the Mirror characters locked up in the brig. And, you know, Spock is standing there watching them screaming at him. And to quote Spock, I mean, it's easier for a civilized person to act mm-hmm. like a barbarian than for the barbarian to act exactly. like a civilized person. So, I mean, you got to give credits to, to Mira Lorca to at least have been mm-hmm. able to act like a civilized man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that after learning about this strange romantic thing with mirror Burnham last week, um, it certainly set me up to see Lorca in a different light. And I, I failed to talk about um, some of the, what was disturbing. And a, a lot of it just came back to the, the diction that they chose and using words like groomed, um, which mm-hmm. are highly, <laughs> uh, let me, how do I say this? Which are um, tightly related to pedophilia and um, how child predators groom the children that they abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the realization that I had shortly after that I never really thought about that that is certainly something that happened to me um, without my knowing it. And, you know, this, this wasn't a situation, well... I mean, we do know that Giorgio raised Burnham from a child, so I don't know how that all played a part, or if that was just really bad word choice on the I part. Think so, of cause the... I think so, because I I mean, to, the, the, the the writers have been to many dark places, but I'm not sure they're gonna go that dark, you know. I hope not, but I really wish they'd thought about that a little bit better before they chose to use yeah. words like that. Um, however, even you know, they carried that theme through in this episode as far as the the love interest part and it i mean it's it's not something that's overbearing or anything he mentions uh pillow talk with burnham and then when uh she when she comes to him with giorgio which i thought it was interesting that he fell for that so quickly um (laughs) and i wondered like how much of that was his passion for burnham and his his passion and lust to be emperor um the the way that he was looking at her was Mm -hmm. not a look that we've seen from Lorca before and it was there was a lot in that look I mean take it how you how you want to take it but I did not feel that this episode's version of Lorca was really anything like 
like the discovery Captain Lorca. No, no, absolutely not. I don't feel that he really like, and I've I've really enjoyed Lorca, and I'm still sad to see Jason Isaacs go because I like Jason Isaacs, and I liked Captain Lorca up until this point. <laughs> um, but I mean, he's just a racist, power hungry. Um, Typical Terran. Yeah, I won't say child abusing <laughs> since we don't know that for sure. Um, but he's just, there's nothing redeeming there. Um, if they had kept him as Mira Lorca, like in the plate, like if they kept him and not Jojo or whatever, but he was written that way, there's nothing redeemable there for me. Um, if he had any inkling of, of Discovery Lorca, which... I'm just, it's not prime Lorca. So I'm just calling him discovery Lorca. Um, <laughs> any inkling of that, then I could perhaps find some empathy there, but I just found this guy really gross and creepy. And, um, I, I don't really get the whole love interest with Burnham because it wasn't played up. Like it didn't really play much of a part. I think he's, he's well, so it played in, Played in a way that he took Burnham away from the Emperor. I mean, that's the thing. That's the whole point of their relationship. I mean, that was pretty much it from my but point I, of view. I felt, but I felt like, you know, he could have just kidnapped her or just taken her away and uh, used her as a pawn. Yeah. Or, I mean, that's what that's really what it was, is that Burnham was Giorgio's daughter. So why there needed to be any kind of love interest element. Um, I don't think that that played out well, and mm. I don't think that was quite thought through um, in line with some other story, like the PTSD <laughs> and the sex, you know, the rape, sexual assault, like let's kind of mention this, but then not really do anything with it. Um, so that's like, that's really my only criticism there. But just since we're talking about Lorca, I mean, I just, I'm glad that this version of Lorca is dead because <laughs> I don't like, I really did not like him after this episode, but I'm trying to think, I think we've kind of talked about most of my points as far as what we learned new, because there was definitely um, Stamets's cloak um, and the emergency transport thing that Giorgio had, um, the force field that they used mm. and the flash grenades. Oh, and and that the, the, the the gas also the yeah use. oh yeah so the bioweapon which I just found really creepy because it was a gas chamber like that's what it looked like to me oh, that's what one through fifteen they said one through seventeen or something like that mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. yeah um I mean it's whatever it was it was like a gas and it was gassing them and it just kind of made me feel gross um but I think trying to find any last bits here. Um, so it's not something that we necessarily learned new, but it was something I noticed that got brought up in after Trek. Um, when they get back to their time and the spores are dispersing, there's a tiny green spore that lands on yep. his shoulder. Right. And I was like, what's up with that? Because that's very specific. That's a specific shot. Um, and I saw it and I was like, Hmm. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then it got brought up on after Trek. And apparently we may see some more come from that tiny scene. Um, mm. so whatever that means, uh, we don't know all that we will, which I think is pretty interesting, but lots of new technology in this episode 
Um, we learned that Giorgio has some really awesome uh, fight skills and can do some high kicks, which we know because mm. Giorgio, but um, <laughs> it was really, really great. Um, really great fight scenes. Gosh, this, there was just so much good stuff in this episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ah, there was. Um, I think, trying to think if there's anything else that we saw that we hadn't. Uh-huh. Are are Terrans resistant to knives in the back? <laughs> or that knife went real <laughs> deep. Just saying. I mean, if, if, speaking from an evolutionary standpoint, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> it could have pierced a lung. It's it's not a uh, what we learned that was new, but it does fit in with just what we learned and. Or, or learning in general, I really appreciated the amount of sciencing in this episode. Yep. Um, because it really, like, it just falls into this episode having it all. Like, I know that sometimes people think that going back and explaining all this is is too much. Like, you should have picked that up already or whatever. But not everybody gets the science, especially since this is a, a, a type of drive we've never heard of before. And sometimes it can be difficult to follow and understand what's going on. So mm-hmm. I really appreciated that they flat out explained pretty much everything <laughs> to us. I didn't really get all that until my second watch either. I had to listen to it all over again. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's they're talking about how the Charon works um, mm-hmm. and their, their mycelial network. And we know how Discovery was going to science about to destroy it. Um, and then to get home. Um, so I just, I thought that was really nice because we've gotten some science in here and there and it was really great to get a lot of it here um, with, with Stamets, but with Tilly, I love seeing her, mm-hmm. um, you know, share this knowledge. And there was actually a really great moment where uh, Stamets thanked her and uh, thanked her for being an inspiration, which was like super awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we we do learn is like because um, people have been talking about how how come we never heard of the spore drive before you know in the future of Star Trek, and people will say oh well the mycelial network you know probably just disappeared or destroyed but we learned that it can't be destroyed otherwise you know all life is gone so yeah. I'm curious to see how they're gonna wrap this up since we know now that you just can't destroy it you know so they're they're. I wonder how they're going to close that breach, or if they will close that. It's going to have to be healed, the network. Yeah. Like, so. they're going to have to heal it somehow now that it's been damaged. Might take um, a few thousand years. <laughs> but I think it, they're also going to be preoccupied with this war, or yeah. what's left of the war. So, um all right. Well, I think we've covered just about everything we can cover there. So let's move into spin it again and look back out back. Let's move into spin it again. Our look back at standout moments, characters, scenes, anything you feel is worth a little extra attention. So Polly, what really stuck out to you in this episode that you think deserves a shout out? Oh my gosh. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> There's, I still have so many uh, notes. Um, So I've been a fan of Michelle Yao since like 93 when I saw her in Heroic Trio and Police, Police Story 3. And so to see like the good old Michelle Yao 
kicking butt was amazing. I was like, this is the best thing ever. And the fact that it was the two of them uh, fighting as a team was amazing. I loved basically, if I'm going to, I'll come back to another part later, um, because this was a really important episode for women and like female roles. Um, I'll come back to that. But another huge thing was um, Saru finding his voice as captain. Because he's always seemed to be, um, you know, questioning himself. And like when he was recording his um, acting captain's log, he he sounded a lot more sure of himself. Um, And then when it came to the point, uh, I'm I'm trying not to like get excited and cry at the same time because this was (laughs) so cool. When uh, he said, you know, he was on the view screen and he said, you know, where's Burnham? to Lorca and then she said I'm where I need to be Saru I'm in my place and I'm like oh my please let that be code please let that be code and of course it was because all hell breaks loose and then Saru just yelling fire Fire. oh my god I just all the hairs on my arms stood up it was just one of the I think the best moments of the season so far just (laughs) seeing how Saru has come into his own throughout these whole 13 episodes was Oh, incredible. Even when he um uh he first when um Vernon first connects and she gets a hold of Discovery um when she's hiding in the in the hallway, or was that a Jeffrey's tube? I'm not sure. And uh he says, you know, he greets her as like hello friend, which was so lovely. Um but uh, it's just seeing seeing him really come into his own because he's obviously um, you know, the Admiral obviously isn't on the ship. So it just seems natural that Saru is going to just be promoted to the captain position, I guess, in my opinion. So anywho, that, that is really good. Um, I also liked how (laughs) when, uh, right before Lorca, you know, bites the big one, um, it's basically before I saw I'm like so rambling. I'm just so excited to get the words out. He, <laughs> um, he goes to the throne and he picks up um, George's sword and he says, nothing that happened to me was an accident. And I'm like, Oh, I hope this is foreshadowing. I never see anything coming, but um, he's basically holding the sword. That's going to stab him in the back. From <laughs> oh, I, I didn't George realize that. So when that finally happens and then, you know, he goes and she opens the, you know, the lovely trap door and then he goes through, I kind of had this lovely feeling of watching him disintegrate like Voldemort (laughs) in (laughs) Harry Potter. I thought that was really cool. Um, Those were like huge, huge, like standout moments. Um, Obviously, Saru's speech that we've already talked about. Um, But I think the... um, the main thing was also um, this was a really strong episode for the female characters, which I thought was really important. I uh, once again not going to mention you know a certain person's name, but um, the fact that this episode happened like uh, pretty much exactly a year after a certain huge march that took place 
uh, not just in Washington, but like all over the world. Um, women are like finally speaking up. I found that, you know, we finally got to hear Arium speaking because, you know, Stamets says, oh, you know, it was actually Arium flagged this. And she's the one who helps Stamets explain about the, here we go, the super micellar reactor. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, just seeing, because we already knew about, you know, Burnham and Georgiou and how they were like starting to bond in this universe. Um, but there still was this huge bond. Um, it was the, a moment that Burnham actually said to um, Georgia, which she said, both versions of me betrayed both versions of you. I'm not going to let that happen again. And then in referring to Lorca a bit later on in that speech, um, she says for what he's done to me, and to anyone else who stood in his way. And right now, I don't want to get political or anything, but I thought that was like for where the Me Too movement is right now. I thought that was an incredibly important moment for me to hear as both um, a woman and uh, also uh, as a non-American. I'm sorry to say that, but I, I just think it was incredibly important for words like that to be said and for the characters in the show um to have basically the power that they did in this episode like scattered all throughout not just like in the the kicking butt uh, of that scene <laughs> um but finding and showing the strength of all these female characters i thought that um ted sullivan did just a magnificent job in putting this all together in and what I hope is referred back to as a really pivotal episode in uh, Star Trek in general. <sighs> agreed. <laughs> totally agreed. Did I even breathe during that? <laughs> no, you didn't. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm going to well take done. a sip of my tea. Discuss. Yes. <laughs> do that. Uh, did anybody have comments to say to, to follow that up? I actually, I do. I just, just going to throw one thing out. Sorry, JP. I just want to throw, can we just, I know Polly didn't, specifically call this moment out but i want to throw this back can we just revel in the in the moment where georgiou roundhouse kicks a flying knife out of the uh, air yeah how badass was that i had to stop and rewind them like did she just really kick Lorca's knife out of the air and with with no flinching at all just kicks it and then just starts going like <laughs> it's amazing beautiful choreography mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely just incredible I mean, Sorry, JP. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like polyester just just pulled a rug out of me. I mean, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, the bad, you know, the the that that scene where they compare badges, you know, it's very yeah. evo evocative, uh, you know, of what they both lost. And again, it's the the you know, and and you see like you know, you were destined to to betray me in every universe, and then you see. Um, so Nick would just go like, no, not this time. And that's when, you know, I think that's where the character decides that, no, this time I will not allow her to die. Pretty sure it's like you can pinpoint a moment of that decision, like at that specific moment. Mm -hmm. um, one thing, I mean, it's very nitpicky, but I'm glad to have traditional non-hologram communications. Mm -hmm. I don't know for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I liked it, but I, at the same time, I felt, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a whine or something, but, you know, eh, there's something about traditional <laughs> main view screen uh, 
communications. I mean, it's it's really nitpicky, but I'm that kind of guy. Um, uh, the whole uh, Discovery Bridge crew. I mean, everyone had a line in there, which I'm really glad they did. And Ted Sullivan did mention that they would have a more critical role, and I'm glad that they did. And I hope that they will keep getting more. Uh, now, now that uh, now that Lorca's not there to sideline everyone. Um, I, I I want to see more of that bridge crew, and I'm glad that uh, they they all they all had a part to play uh, uh, in the action and in the decision making and the planning, and uh, it was great. You know, I, I know everyone was waiting for Ariam to to do something you know mm. constructive, and we you know we got a glimpse. I mean, it's not a lot, but you know, we got something. I think the writer, I hope and I believe that the writers got the message and I believe that we'll get more of them in season two. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not a lot of time to turn around in uh, two weeks from now for yeah. <laughs> probably two episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Polly pretty much said everything uh, to, for everything that stood out for me. Uh, Michelle, you in, in full, as I say, you know, in full crouching, crouching tiger in the <laughs> dragon mode. <laughs> um, sorry, that that's that 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 one in uh, the uh, the James Bond movie. That's that's the two reference I have of Michelle Yeoh. I, I I need to to make my I need to cultivate my Hong Kong uh, culture, but yes, uh, eventually. Such amazing stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that that's that's pretty much. Uh, yeah, great, great moments between Burnham and and, and Giorgio and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Well, um, Jeff, what about you? Oh, I have a few things. Um, I, one thing that it really stood out to me early on in the episode is Lorca has followers who were in agonizer booths for two hundred and twelve days. Yeah. No, it's a year. It was a year in 212 12 days. days. That's crazy. Yes. Right? I wondered, like, how long can someone stand to be in one of those things? I mean, they got to take them out and feed them and let them go to the bathroom. But, yeah. I mean, good Lord, that's a long well, friggin' time. And all of them seem to be able to crawl out and immediately get up and do their thing. So, yeah. Uh, well, that's I, Star uh, Trek for you, frankly. <laughs> I mean, Star Trek has a, a 51 year history of. <laughs> <laughs> Of mentally abusing people and traumatizing people, and then they never deal with it, except maybe Picard mentions it a couple of times. So, I mean, um, that's well, look at Captain Kirk course. and Dagger of the Mind. I mean, yeah, that's a yeah. really early example of that. Mm-hmm. Or, well, I mean, they showed it pretty well in DS9, uh, where Worf and uh, Bashir got uh, the uh, Jemadar prison camp, but then again, you know. They they oh. showed the suffering during during the internment camp, but after that, it was you know fine and dandy. Uh, Worf uh, almost you know fought himself to fought the Gemini to death uh, in a ring match, but mm-hmm. you know next day, oh well, a little bit of bone knitting, and here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the 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 the, the torture chamber folks didn't have a bone knitting thing. They they just got out and picked up picked up picked up guns. So. What, you know, my, my question is, why didn't they just kill him? I mean, we, we've seen them space people for way less. True. Yeah. True indeed. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand maybe wanting, the, you know, the captain to do a whole Han Solo thing where you can have, I don't know, you want Jason Isaacs in your throne room suffering while you're doing matters of state. 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> the little agonizer was off in the corner. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's way more entertaining than a block of carbonite. Um, True. Yeah. But I, I love that segue, by the way. Thanks for the Star Wars segue. I'm going to throw it out there, and this you guys toast me for this, but did anybody have a Death Star flashback yeah. with this? <laughs> I mean, Obi-Wan has got to disable the shields so they can shoot yeah. the thing in the middle. I mean, And it, open totally. your ears. When, when, when Lorca falls into the pit, you hear a TIE fighter. You hear, no, you hear the TIE fighter. You can hear yeah. the, the yeah. roar of the... You hear the totally. distinctive roar of a TIE fighter going by. So yeah, total Star yeah. Star Wars nod there. So yeah, yeah I, I kind of I, I kind of had a little bit of a flashback to not only uh, a New Hope but also kind of Return of the Jedi in a way. Um, in a way that it you know should have been with more, way more kung fu. <laughs> for sure but i mean other than i mean the phaser fire we said a lot of phaser fire in this episode which i thought was amazing and i love the um the effect of people being vaporized oh mm. yeah there's a so lot of cool. vaporizing today yeah tons God. of it tons of it i mean i mean they don't want to you know deal with the whole lot of corpses so yeah why buy just a lash on the floor <laughs> gotta sweep it up so so then again Get the you, know, you see out. every everyone killing each other but then you know a few, a f- you know, a few weeks earlier, they were all okay with just keeping them in agonizer booths so and yeah. keeping them alive. So, <laughs> yeah, what's the, what's the decision point as to who gets killed and who gets put in the agonizer in the mirror universe? Yeah, I mean, you have bad thoughts about the emperor. We space you. You try to usurp the throne. We'll keep you in a corner for two years and then space you. Uh, it was also i think really interesting in the in the middle of the fight um like burnham is based like she's she's like knocking people off but she's pretty much just doing self-defense whereas georgia was just like killing yeah right Mm -hmm. because that's like her universe is you know kill 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 and it's more self-defense for burnham i think i tried to watch it a second time and i don't know if she killed anybody but it was mostly self-defense for burnham that, that brings me to a point that something, uh, uh, a moment that stood out for me, uh, where Burnham says, you could have asked. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. just, oh, it was like, great. Yeah. I mean, great moment, yeah. It, it, it echoes a little bit of what Saru said when they took Tyler back on board two episodes ago. You know, there's Starfleet. You know, they're not going to kill you. I mean, you, you know, you just say, well, I'm from a different universe. Uh, don't seem to be a right place. Uh, I need help. You know, you could have asked. I mean, it, 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 it's a life lesson right there. Yep. Oh, that was a question on so many Star Trek episodes in the past. If the if the hostile alien just came out and said, hey, listen, this is what I need, Starfleet mm-hmm. would have helped them out. But instead, they have all sorts of nefarious plans and they're tricking people yeah. and killing people. And oh, it was a simple question. Okay, can you guys help me get back to my planet? <laughs> Why breaking to your neighbors if you because you need a cup of sugar? Knock on the door. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but if if there's one thing that we know, it's that men hate asking for directions. Oh. <laughs> Unless they're asking their phone. <laughs> yeah. That's a yes, new sir. thing. It wasn't available back Siri, then. Siri, how do I get the spore drive? Yeah, really. <laughs> how do I get back to my universe? Oh, man. Uh, a couple so, more quick things. Oh, sorry, Heather. No, I was just going to ask you. Oh, yeah. I was going to say just a great episode for TOS throwback sound effects. Oh. Lots of yes. them littered in there. <gasps> yes. Loved it. Loved it. So I'm not going to call every single one out. And and my final point, this is was my probably my biggest laugh out loud moment because we've talked about this on Disco Trek so many times in the past. 
I love that Saru literally called himself out on his threat ganglia not working. <laughs> we're like, why didn't his ganglia pop out for that moment? People were going to die. Why did his ganglia pop out? And he's like, I didn't detect anything strange. You would think I would. <laughs> like, okay, so they're not 100%. They don't always work. Well, not not that. I think it was just because Lorca was not a threat to the discovery and to the lives of the crew. I think there's that. You know, he he didn't want to actively kill Saru or the crew or the ship. Um, he just wanted to use them. So, yeah. But then, why did they come up when Burnham came back on the ship? Yeah, exactly. In the, like the first what third uh, or fourth uh, episode, like because mm-hmm. he doesn't like her and he's nervous and he's judgmental. Yeah, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about these gangly. I don't know how reliable they are. Not a hundred percent, Heather. Um, but that really <laughs> that loops us back into one of Polly's opening remarks about the humor in this episode because that was that was a part that I had written down and then right before the Charon is blown up Landry's like what are they going to do and she's like is the containment field up yes. and <laughs> the way that she even asked that was just um, was just quite hilarious it was comical the tone of her voice um, so I thought that was pretty funny and speaking of Landry since we didn't really mention her um, and we did make a point to talk about how great this episode was for the women characters um, I think it's worthwhile to welcome Landry back. Unfortunately, she's <laughs> gone again. Um, but it was nice to see Reka Sharma again. And I thought that it was quite curious that Mir Landry is much more likable than yeah. her <laughs> universe counterpart. Um, and she even smiles. So I, uh, I just I thought that was so interesting because I, was, I really would like to have seen more of this Landry. Mm-hmm. Um, she seemed smart, and um, I just I I really liked her a lot. She was on After Trek, yeah. um, and pretty pretty funny on there too. Um, fellow Canadian, so yeah. Uh, She's got awesome. that going for her. I did not know that. <laughs> did not know that. But yeah. um, I did. There was one thing that I totally forgot to mention. Um, and it's not quite a spin it again type thing. But uh, when Stamets is coming back through the mycelial network, ding, ding, 50 more points for Gryffindor. Um, <laughs> he says it's the clearing in the forest. Mm. And previously when he was first in the, the 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 drive and i don't know that he was yet in the coma but he's you know he said it's the the, the clearing in the forest yes. that's how they get through so i'm trying to figure out where and how stamets saw them eventually get through or who he saw get through because that's how discovery got through Mm. Do you guys do you guys get what I'm saying? Like he he referenced that's how they get through the clear, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so was he like? Was there some not quite time travel, but like did he see them somehow? I just I thought it was really interesting because like we explicitly heard that. Um, I think it was when he was first in the coma. Yeah. Well, well, no, but well, he was uh, traveling to the to the mirror universe. I think it was when he was in the reaction cube, uh, if I remember correctly. 
I can't remember if he was when he was in it or if what if that's what he said when he like right, when he came right out of it, and is that's when we first mm-hmm. saw him and his eyes were all glassy in the the yeah. mid season. Right, because uh, I'm trying to I I kind of thought about that as well and I didn't write it down, but remember because he said he called Tilly Captain. Yep. And yep. then when he's basically when he's talking to the other Stamets, you know, in the system, he's like, oh, so that's how I called her captain and blah, blah. And then I was trying to remember that exact same thing. If the whole forest thing was before that or around the same time. It's like some I mean, we know that somewhere he saw how it got used, but like he specifically said that's how they get through. And at the time, I thought it was the Povins he was talking about or something. Mm. And now I'm just really curious who he was talking about specifically. Um, maybe I will ask Anthony Rapp on Twitter. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I think I've kind of like said my love story to this episode <laughs> already. Um, so it's, I can only go over it so many times because this really came down to um, excellent writing by Ted Sullivan Excellent direction by Olatunde Osunami, which I didn't say right. Olatunde Osunsanmi. I hope that's right. It's very important to me that I pronounce names and words correctly if y'all haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> um, because these actors deserve that um, for sure. It was, again, great to see the bridge crew come together. And, you know, I, I get that it lended itself to an incredibly powerful moment in this episode. I still would have liked to have seen more of them throughout, Mm. (laughs) you know, the first 12 episodes. Mm. I think, I don't think that seeing more of them would have taken away from this moment at all. Um, But it was, it was great to finally see each of them get lines in the same episode. Um, Alongside Saru, Mr. Acting Captain um, coming into that captain role, which Mm. I also was never quite expecting, I guess. Um, Saru, I I adore Doug Jones and I adore this character, but it's taken some time to really (sighs) understand how I feel about him. Like I really like him. And then I, that I'm not quite sure. Um, I think this was a wonderful moment for Saru and I think he's won the hearts of many of us um, Mm -hmm. especially after this Um, and just yeah this was just written well visually stunning acted extremely well Mm -hmm. it had surprises it had so much new stuff new technology Um, like everyone except for Vogue and Laurel. <laughs> like everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone got a little bit of the spotlight. And then as we already mentioned, um, aside from Saru's speech, we had some great proof of Star Trek, not that Discovery needs it. Cause we all know that Discovery is Star Trek, but um, back to that point when Burnham said to Lorca, we would have helped you. Um, we would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet mm-hmm. is. That's who mm-hmm. I am. That's why I won't kill you now. And 
you know, that that is who Starfleet is and that is who Burnham is. And I've been saying the entire series, like if, if you need to find some Star Trek, look to Burnham, because that's where I felt um, the core of Star Trek ideology and philosophy was in the beginning. But the writers, um, all of the writers have done a great job of um, incorporating the entire cast into that Star Trek philosophy and ideology. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I say that every week, guys. I'm excited <laughs> to see where it goes. Um, I, uh, I think I said after this episode last night on Twitter, something like it was a beautiful ballet of, of writing and direction and acting um, and I, I threw out that whole, if you don't think this is Star Trek, you're wrong. Um, and I, I feel like when I say things like that, I have to, to clarify that I'm not saying that anyone's opinion of whether this is good or not is wrong. But I mean, number one, it's just a fact <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is Star Trek owned by, you know, CBS so what's happening now is Star Trek, whether you like it or not, no one's saying that you you have to like Discovery or love Discovery. Um, it's definitely difficult for me to see how anyone doesn't enjoy this show. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be every episode. Um, there, are, there are certainly episodes, as we know, mm. that I, I haven't liked or I've had a, mm. large issues with. And there are parts of the writing that I, I really yeah. struggle with. Um, but, but overall, um, this, it's still Star Trek. And I, I really just wish that like people who gave up on the series early on would maybe come back to it, but to oh, come they back, will. I hope so. But like, mm -hmm. I've seen that the thing is I've seen people who come back to it but they're still they're still looking at it from a very critical negative perspective yeah. and if that's how you're going to look at something whether it's star trek or anything else in the mm -hmm. world um that's the only way that you're going to see it like and that's part of star trek philosophy here is that we have to learn how to be ob objective and mm -hmm. to look at issues from varied perspectives and so I just really hope that in time, um, people are able to come back to it or to start watching it and mm. to not watch it from an overly critical perspective mm. and just see what's there. And even if you don't quite, if it's not your version of Star Trek or you don't see the Star Trek in it, um, you know, try to find something that you, that you do like about it because, it's still a really great show. And I did a poll a while back on Twitter and asked people like, if this wasn't Star Trek, would you be watching? Um, like, is it, it was not, I should have added more to the question, but there were, there were lots of responses like, well, no, because it's behind a paywall, which I totally understand. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not here. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was trying to ask, like, is this show still enjoyable? Like without it being Star Trek, <laughs> Like, if this was accessible to you, if it was on TV, would you still be watching it? And I was happy that, that most people said yes. Um, oh. It's I think it's just incredibly well done. And 
while I would certainly love for it to be accessible to everyone um, without the paywall, on the other hand, I'm glad that we have the production quality that we do because I, I don't think it would be what it is without that. Yeah. And if only people would understand the realities of producing a show in 2018, maybe they'd be a little more more grateful to have Star Trek the you know today because uh, the days of having 26 episodes in a season are gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the days of having single episodes uh, not related to a larger arc are gone. I mean, uh, what? Some folks have a very narrow definition of what Star Trek is, and some some of these parameters are set by the production standards, which are changing today. You know, and uh, you know, it, it, Star Trek is a costly show to make, and I don't want to have one episode a year that will be Shades of Grey or a clip show. You know, yeah, uh, because they run out of budget. So I'm glad to have fewer episodes, higher quality, uh, and hopefully, you know, now that they have better feedback through social media and they engage with fans, I'm pretty sure that season two uh, will be pretty damn near perfect. Yeah, I mean, you know, sky's the limit. I don't know what they're going to do with it. And, you know, even, even myself, like, talking about issues like um, character deaths, uh, I've, I've done a lot of that in the past yeah. several weeks and helping to explain why um, character deaths are impactful because a lot of people don't understand and that's no fault um, of theirs. It's just that when you like when you're not a queer person, you're just not really exposed to mm-hmm. to that perspective of life, um, those life experiences. So it's been great um, to have this dialogue across uh, social media and various podcasts uh, to help educate others um, about, you know, all, all of these, all of these issues because Mm -hmm. Star Trek has, has brought them up, whether they uh, meant to, whether it was intentional, et cetera. Um, And look, I'm losing my train of thought. So I don't know what to do. Heather. Yeah. I'll throw one more thing out. I had a final point that I was waiting for the end of the show to throw out there because I was surprised that this hasn't come up yet. Um, you know, as we've talked about earlier on the show, this was a huge episode for women. But it's also another huge episode for Star Trek from a diversity perspective is a non-human in command of a Starfleet ship. Yep. I mean, yeah, that's another really big nod to diversity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in Star Trek. That, you know, you'd have a guy like Saru in, in, in doing a great job in Command of a Starship. So um, Star Trek, you know, bridging even you know, barriers that we haven't even come up against yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if anyway. you look in the other shows, you had Data, Worf, Kira, mm-hmm. uh, Jadzia, and that's Spock. Pretty much Spock and uh, T'Pol a little bit. T'Pol yeah. a little bit, yeah. That's- yeah, you had Neelix on Voyager. He became captain? No, oh, he well. was a cook. Just as important. No. Yeah, just as important. <laughs> well, yeah. I, and I A-Rex on the re- animated series. I got to throw that out there. Oh, you had the um you had the uh, the doctor the um 
the emergency. EMH. Yeah. So he. Oh, and oh yeah, the EMH. Like the acting captain. Yeah. Yeah. ECH. Yeah. So I love that. Well, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, looking just looking at the bridge crew, I mean, they're an incredibly diverse group of people as well. But oh, I, extremely. Um, what I was trying to say, and now I'm oh god, I'm gonna shoot myself. <laughs> Sorry, I like I had it, and then you started talking about that, and then I thought of it again, and then I came back to this. Okay, so when we're talking about making TV in 2018, um, and we're talking about some of these issues um, like the barrier gauge trope and um, death of minority characters and stuff like that, um, even then, I am aware that there are more people involved than even the writers. Um, and so we, we have known from all of the notes in the Roddenberry files and all the books that have been written, we've seen the notes coming down from the network. We know that they uh, play a hand in some of the things that we see and we don't see. Um, and I mean, this is a different time than 51 years ago, but I think it's important to still realize that there's still an overlord of sorts. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so when you're looking at, you know, what we end up with at, at the end of day, I mean, this could have started out, you know, discovery could have started out as, okay, we want to do another 24-episode first season of this, and it's going to be just like TNG with um, these character stories not serialized. But no, I mean, we we have to make TV a certain way now to fit in with, with what's out there. And it could have been the writers that said, oh, we definitely want to make this Game of Thrones style. Or it could have been the network that said, we want to make this Game well, of Thrones style. From from what I understood, they asked Brian Fuller what he wanted to do. And they went with the the idea he wanted to do like with, with, for the first season. Because at first he wanted to do that anthology series, which would have been cost prohibitive. But he kind of stuck with the idea of discovery. Um, I'm from what from what I understand anyway, from what I read, and I mean in, in this early, you know, we we're not sure how reliable the information is, but uh, from what I gathered is like they asked him what he wanted to do, and they said okay, but it won't be an anthology series. I think that was the only big caveat that they thrown at him before he was right. removed. But well, and but again, like there, there's still participation from oh yeah, absolutely more than just the writers, and we don't necessarily know what that is. Just as we don't know the specifics of why Brian Fuller was reportedly fired, um, I mean that's that's what people have said oh. at this point. Um, we, we don't know. Our, we all have our theories on it. Yeah, like we don't know the specifics, and uh, you know maybe we'll know someday, but we're not going to know right now. Um, and I think that just being aware of that broader spectrum of um, who is involved in making a television series um, can lend some perspective mm -hmm. when uh, some of these issues come up because, you know, there's a discussion of like, why is, 
why is this Culver thing a big deal? Because you've got a gay um, producer and two gay actors that are all totally okay with it. Um, so, and they're saying this is not a trope. It's not the barrier gaze trope. So in that sense, like, why shouldn't we listen to them? Um, and like, <laughs> there's, there's dialogue to be had. Um, and, you know, again, at the end of the day, like it, we, we very, very well may see Colbert come back in some kind of mm-hmm. physical form where he's there as a man and not a figment of our imagination. And I will cry <laughs> for days. Um, mm-hmm. Will it completely redeem the story? No, mm-hmm. not necessarily. Um, but it will help me feel a lot better about it. However, like, I don't think that this was anything, you know, anyone involved in Star Trek did to intentionally hurt anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... I, it's, um... Uh, if if I can jump in, I mean, I feel like they they felt like they needed some, you know, you, you got co- you got uh, Stamets in in you know in a coma and in this other world, and I think they just might have you know they found a, I would say an easy way to to you know to have to find him a guide. They could have done it a different way. I agree. I think they just you know. Well, it's yeah. And I don't want to rehab like I don't want to have every show talk about this because I'm sure there are people out there that are tired of hearing me talk about it. I'm just saying that um, I think at the end of the day, in the spirit of of Star Trek, um, it's important for everyone, whether you love Star Trek and you have no problems with it, whether you like it, you have issues with it, whether you haven't watched it, just try to see from other perspectives sometimes. Mm. And when you do that, as we've said all along with Star Trek, you know, Star Trek, certainly um, it's it's for us as viewers. They want us to watch it. And Discovery has done a great job of um, reaching out to fans and showing the fans that they understand Star Trek. Um, yeah. I think they've done a good job of throwing in Easter eggs in every episode mm-hmm. Um, and providing some level of fan service without it being too much fan service. They're also, they have created a version of Star Trek that is unlike any Star Trek we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, it is unique and special and very different. And <laughs> um, when things are very different, it is sometimes difficult to accept or like those things um but again like star trek teaches us to at least try to see from that perspective and i just really hope that um, people can tune into that and maybe revisit it once the season is over and um look at it that way because despite my qualms um i really love what they've done and this episode um has me feeling a lot better than I have (laughs) in previous episodes about where they're going. And I mean, I've, I've been talking about um, my experience in watching it now with someone who's, you know, not immersed in, in fan culture and all the theories. And so like, I'm sitting on the edge (laughs) of my seat 
and he's sitting on the edge of a seat and we're like yeah. grabbing each other like we don't know what's gonna happen what's gonna happen now like what's going on and it's just it's phenomenal and there is no other show on tv right now besides maybe game of thrones that really gets me to that kind of level where i'm just like on my seat with anticipation like oh my god what's gonna happen yeah. um, and so. i, I... I gotta say, it's kind of same. The same for me with me and my my my, my boyfriend. I mean, uh, he he's a big Warhammer forty thousand fan, so mm-hmm. he's deep in the lore. He loves things that are lore heavy in lore, so he's he's very well fed with Star Trek because now you know I started feeding him uh, Discovery. Now he's watching Deep Space Nine, and mm-hmm. he's getting lost on Memory Alpha now. So uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you know. That's what they want, you know, they want this to do is they want to reach new fans. Um, And the same thing with the Kelvin Timeline movies, like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're different because they're movies also, and they're meant to be summer blockbusters made for, you know, today's audience. And now this is TV. And I'm much happier having Star Trek on TV in this way and having a whole Mm -hmm. new set of characters um, aside from Sarek. Um, who I think I love, but I just, I love that it's not a rehash despite being a prequel. It's not a rehash of anything that we've seen. And despite the fact that last week we were talking about how predictable it's been, this episode blew that predictability out of the Mm -hmm. water. And so, and I mean, it wasn't just, it wasn't just Lorca died. There was so much more on top of it just being such a beautifully produced piece of art. Um, So it's when you talk about shout outs and who deserves special attention, every single person involved in Star Trek Discovery deserves that shout out this week. Mm hmm. I mean, uh, I gotta give a shout out to Jason Isaacs on Twitter for giving the the whole uh, "I'm dead, stone dead" uh, the, the whole parrot sketch um, for for <laughs> fans of Monty Python. Nice. Uh, I, I'm not well versed enough in my Python to recite it by heart, but you know, when someone, you know, someone, I think it was Matt Meyer who said, like, "Is anybody really dead on Star Trek?" And then he just like replied saying, "Like, yeah, I'm dead," and then he just he played on the the parrot sketch uh very very british of him so uh, <laughs> <laughs> i gotta get go through him a bone for that well i will only accept prime version of Lorca. i mean that's all they can really well yeah. like, i don't know but uh yeah to to be determined my understanding is that the Lorca is Lorca is gone but we will see jason isaacs in 180 Three days. Wow. Yes. Um, I'm saving my pennies now <laughs> to take mm-hmm. a picture and to thank him for his contribution um, to Star Trek. So we are at the two-hour mark, <laughs> 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 um, which, hey, we didn't make it to the three-hour mark. Thank goodness. But um, <laughs> so I guess I, I kind of feel like we've said everything that we can say at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could have just read the whole script. <laughs> we, we could have done a table and been done in half the time. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. We could have done it twice. 
We, yeah, um, we could have watched it three times, <laughs> and uh, which I did, which I did, and I was yeah. so excited. I spent my whole day thinking, I'm going to go home and watch this episode twice. Um, so I think we can all agree this was a truly phenomenal episode of Star Trek um, next week. Oh, I'm so sad that we're getting down to the final mm. episode. Final two. Oh, no. man. Um, but <laughs> next week we have episode 14, The War Without, The War Within. Mm. Um, and it looks like we're going to see Laurel again and Sarek and Admiral Cornwell. Yeah, I love her. Oh, my Pretty God. Pretty awesome. Um, for, for, for fans of uh, the, the mobile game, Star Trek Timelines, they just brought, they, they're going to bring Admiral Cornwell into the game this week. So I'm really excited for that. Oh, cool. Fun, fun. So um, I assume that next week we'll be back here with two new guests talking about how much, like how great that episode was <laughs> and the best episode we've seen so far. Um, but uh, in the meantime, let's go ahead and tell people how to find us on social media if they want to continue the conversation. Um, so, Polly, how can people get in touch with you? Um, well, there's a few ways. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Polly Esther Gems. Don't forget the H. Um, um, also on Facebook, I'm obviously a member of the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention page. I belong to about like, I think it's between 10 and 15 other Facebook pages. You will see me somewhere on there. Um, also on Facebook, I have a public figure page. Um, it is uh, Polly Esther, but I think if you do at damn it, Jim Polly Esther, you'll be able to find me. Um, if I can do a plug, I'm actually going to be going to the Orlando Fringe Festival uh, in May, from May 15th to the 28th, and I'm going to be performing my one-woman show, Damn It, Jim, I'm a Comedian, Not a Doctor. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I'll be there. So if anybody lives in Orlando or is traveling to Orlando, I'd love to see you at the show. And then if it's also okay if I do one more thing, um, mm -hmm. we didn't mention it, but um, I went to the um, Las Vegas convention in 2015 and 2016, and I actually... Um, you might recognize me from some of the pages on Facebook. I'm the gal who commented about having a an AA meeting in my room and that anybody could contact me. Um, so I'm not at the convention, but I still have the Gmail address up. If anybody ever feels like sending me a message just to talk about anything anytime, and that is friends of Bill W and Grace W at gmail.com. So, um, yeah, you can find me in several different ways, but please feel free to send me a private message anytime if you feel like doing so. And we are certainly <laughs> open to helping out with making that event happen again this year. Mm -hmm. We if talked about that in the shore leave last year, didn't we? Yeah, I remember yeah. that. It was so lovely of you guys. Yep. Um, you know, we do everything we can to help facilitate people and, you know, shore leave or shore leave. STLV, uh, there's a certain kind of nightlife there that's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we always try to emphasize that just because a lot of the social interaction takes place at bars, you know, there's no expectation that anyone has 
a drink in their hand. However, we also understand that it may not be a comfortable place for some people to be. Um, so we, we do everything we can to help facilitate um, get-togethers like you have, mm-hmm. Um, and, and anything else that's out there. So yeah, please, please let us know what we can do to help for this year. Um, because I know plenty of people have taken advantage of that camaraderie mm-hmm. and we love to facilitate building families within our family. <laughs> <laughs> um, so JP, what about you? How can we find you? Ah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Parlontrek. That's P-A-R-L-O-N-S-T. R-E-K. Um, Facebook, I have a page for my podcast, Parlons Trek. Uh, so if you speak French, or if you somehow understand French and want to hear a bunch of guys talking about Star Trek to keep your ear felicitated in, in French, I mean, it's a good way to uh, <laughs> to keep that going. Um, so yes, yeah, so, and uh, of course, on the unofficial uh, Star Trek Las Vegas convention group at uh, JP Cardin, that's my personal Facebook. Um, same here, you can drop me a line if somehow you want to get together. Um, I'm a very social person. I, I, I love to meet people. And I, I as you know, uh, we, we never met Heather and I, and I already feel like, we're, you know, really excited and really, really psyched about uh, meeting you guys over there. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Parlons Trek, that's my thing. Every, uh, I, I do, a, a, I broadcast live every Thursday. Yeah, every Thursday at 8.30 Eastern. Uh, and we do have a, uh, one, one funny thing, one fun thing about our, uh, show is we have a license, uh, to play music. So I, I usually Ooh, like, nice. uh, so, uh, thanks to the Canadian, Canadian authorities and, uh, the, the, my broadcasters, yeah. so we can play like, uh, warp 11 and five-year mission. And, nice. uh, so uh, that's one aspect of the Trek fandom that i really love is the musical side Mm. and i gotta say i am i started of course with warp 11 and i discovered so many wonderful talents uh my friend uh ian interviewed uh for for my show uh, the roddenberries Mm. uh earlier uh, at stlv last year so i'm i'm really really happy that i'm gonna get to meet them this year so uh yeah so that that's that's my thing so uh yep very cool (laughs) Um, Jeff, I hear you're somewhere on the internet. Really? No. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jeff? Yeah. Uh oh. Oh no, I'm oh, no. here. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was muted. I was muted. Um, I was trying to be respectful. Um, so yeah, you. Yeah, I am somewhere on the internet. It's right, Heather. Um, you can find me on the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas Convention Group. I am Jeff Hewlett, and uh, as Heather pointed out on the Patreon earlier, rarely am I on Twitter. At Warp Factor Jeff, but if you mention me, I will certainly get back to you. Well, that is good to know. So I, of course, am in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas Facebook group, along with Jeff and our great friend Jesse Akendo. Um, so come find us there. Uh, just, oh gosh, I'm tired, I guess. Um, <laughs> Once you click the button to join, it'll ask you some questions. So let us know that you found the group via the podcast um, because that's super helpful. But um, on Twitter, I am LLA Posper, and I have been told to make sure to spell that out because it's L-L-A-P-A-W-S-P-E-R, like a dog paw. 
Um, and the show, the show is disco underscore Trek. The network is at Tricorder Show. And then we are the tricordertransmissions.com and that has links to everything and it will eventually have links to everyone on the podcast um, where it takes a while to get that updated, but that will be there. Um, so thank you everyone for coming. We've had a great time. It's every show that we do, it feels like family. Um, so <laughs> welcome to the family officially. And, uh, thank you very much. Yes, um, we uh, look forward to seeing you this year or next year, whichever one everyone winds up making it to. Um, and in the meantime, we will be back next week to talk more Star Trek Discovery. Until then, live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.